So we're in the middle of this series where we are looking primarily at the Beatitudes, which are those initial eight sayings that make up the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've looked at five of them. Tonight is number six. And as we've seen time and time again, maybe one of the main themes of this series that we're calling Following Jesus is that life, following Jesus, life as a disciple is is a topsy-turvy, unexpected, counterintuitive kind of life. It's the kind of life that the people of the world and that oftentimes we ourselves would never expect. It's the kind of kingdom that came and that presently exists through sacrifice and through humility and through mercy, whereas we expect kingdoms to exist and reign through power and through bloodshed and through war. Jesus has told us again and again that those who are a part of his kingdom, that those who truly are following him are those who are going to undoubtedly look different than the world would expect, look different than we often would expect. He said crazy things, really. Things like those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize the abundance of their own poverty are those who will inherit the kingdom. Those who are mournful and sad and depressed are those who will be comforted. Those who, those who are hungry and thirsty are the ones that I'm going to satisfy. Those who long, but long for righteousness are those who will be filled. It's, it's really a very, very strange way of thinking. Tonight, as we move forward in our, in our series, we see that the same line, the same vein of thinking continues because tonight Jesus promises to us that we will be happy. We will be blessed when we seek for, when we acquire, when we are given purity, but purity of heart and inner purity. When we have purity of heart, we will be blessed because, he says, we will, of all things, see God. Now, that is undoubtedly the most spectacular promise that could possibly be made to people like you and me. But that is indeed what Jesus says. Blessed, happy are those who are pure in heart because undoubtedly those are the ones who will one day see See the almighty, eternal, infinite God. So what does that mean? Well, I want to explore that with you tonight. And we'll just break this idea, this verse, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God down into three parts. Okay, I want to show you three things. First, the priority of a pure heart. Second, the problem of a pure heart. And then thirdly, the promise of a pure heart. Priority, problem, promise. Okay, first, the priority of a pure heart. Notice that Jesus here says, um, blessed are those who are not just pure, but blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is concerned with your heart. If you want to understand Christianity, if you want to understand the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to get what this church business is all about, then you must Among other things, you must understand that fundamentally Jesus cares for your inner life. 
When the Bible uses the word heart, it's not referring, obviously, to like the literal physical organ that pumps blood throughout our body. The heart in the Old and New Testaments is a reference, rather, to, to the center of our being. The heart, when Jesus uses it, he's, he's in a sense saying, your heart is, is the real you. It's who you really are, deep, deep down. Your heart is, is the pulsing life, not just of your physical body, but of your entire spiritual and emotional self. And the Bible tells us time and time again, and very clearly here, that that, that the heart, is what God is after. And the reason that Jesus is concerned with your and with my heart is because the heart is the one, the heart is the thing that is calling the shots in our lives. You know, the heart is is the top, the source of the river that flows down. Most of the time, we only see the river as it's flowing or maybe the mouth of the river. Most of the time, we only see our actual words or our actual actions or our actual attitudes. But all of those things, the Bible says very clearly, flow from the condition of your inner person, of your heart. The heart is the person, it's the thing, it's the part of you that is driving the rest of you. And because Jesus knows that's true, Jesus is after transforming your heart. That's why he's so concerned with purity, but purity of heart. The priority is the heart. Do you know, do you know that even in the past 12 hours, even in the past week, everything that you've said, every decision that you've made, every look, whether angry or happy, that you've given to your mom and your dad, your spouse or your children, Every single thought that you have entertained is a product of the workings of your heart. You oftentimes, and I oftentimes, don't really get that. We just think we do what we do because that's what we do. Um, But I want you to think about that with me just for a moment. You know, why is it, for example, why is it that we so often as people tend to lie? Maybe not straight up boldly lie, but maybe exaggerate. I hate to say it, but pastors are famous for this. Um, A lot of illustrations lead towards significant exaggerations. And oftentimes, you know, you've done this before. You're telling a story about something that happened to you this week, and and you might exaggerate. You might make it sound a little better than it was. You might make the situation a little bleaker. You might make yourself seem a little more courageous. You might make yourself look smarter as you're recasting the story. That's exaggerating, but listen, it's, it's lying. That's a decision you make. But why is it that you do that? The reason that we so often lie and exaggerate is because our hearts, you see, our hearts are afraid. Our hearts are fearful of being found just to be normal people who struggle in the same way that everybody else does. Or perhaps we lie and exaggerate because our hearts are proud. Our hearts want to be puffed up and seen by others as somebody who's got it together. But the reason that you do those things is because your heart is operating in a certain way. Why is it, here's another example, why is it that um, rather than lying, we, we feel oftentimes so nervous and uneasy around our peers? You know, you ever find yourself in a social situation and you just, you feel awkward. You're not sure what to say. 
You're walking on eggshells, you feel like. You, you just don't know what to do, and you maybe strike up a conversation with someone that you're meeting for the first time, and you say something that as you just hear yourself saying it, you're like, come backwards. That was just, that sounds so stupid. I'm such, I can't believe I did that. You know, most comedy, <laughs> most comedy really is playing on that idea. Um, comedy really is, is, the, is the laying forth of how, how we often feel so insecure in the company of other people and the things we say we're not sure about, the responses we get from people we're not sure about. We just don't like being in social settings, perhaps. And sometimes you'll leave a party, you'll leave church, you'll leave a gathering, and you'll think, man, you're so stupid. <laughs> Can't believe I said that. Gosh, why do you do that? Why do you feel that way? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but primarily it's because of your heart. It's because the real you desperately at the same time wants to be in community where other people really know you and also is really, really afraid of having other people really know you. Let's use a positive example. Why is it that you moms love and serve and sacrifice so often for your children? Why is it that you stay up late into the night and get up early in the morning? Why is it that you so often sacrifice your hobbies and your interests so that you can watch Frozen again? So that you can color again? Why is it that you, that you labor and think so much about the day-to-day needs of your little ones? You, know, you don't do that primarily because you feel a duty to do it. You do that because your heart has been captured by those children. You love them deeply in the very core of who you are. And Jesus knows, Jesus understands that once our hearts have been captured by something, all the other parts of us are going to follow and follow easily. Jesus gets, he gets that our hearts are the key. Our hearts are the priority. And so he says, blessed are the pure, but not just the pure, the pure in heart, for they will see God. But there's a problem. Secondly, the problem of the heart. Here's the problem. Our hearts are not pure. Now that might sound like the most obvious thing that I've said so far tonight. But it needs to be said again. Purity of heart is something that each of us, according to Christian testimony, lack and lack severely. You know, most Religions, most ways of thinking, most worldviews and philosophies of life understand that people have something wrong with them. They understand that there's a problem, not just out there, but to some degree there's a problem in here. They understand that we aren't pure, we aren't clean, we aren't righteous, we aren't holy. In the way that we just sort of intuitively know that we should be. And so religions all through history and still to this day all over the world have concocted all sorts of sometimes very elaborate ways to deal with our inherent and obvious lack of purity and righteousness and holiness and cleanliness. But the problem with most religions, the problem in fact with every way of thinking that isn't, if I may say it so boldly, that isn't the Christian gospel, is that their cure for our uncleanliness and impurity seeks to sidestep and to circumvent the heart. It seeks to fix us, so to speak, without dealing first with what's really wrong, which is what Jesus is getting at here. Everybody knows that we need more purity. 
Everybody knows that we need to, quote, do better. Everybody knows that there's something wrong, but most of us, and if you're not a believer in Jesus, you may have experienced multiple ways of looking at this. Most religions of the world, most people in the world, most of us even in here who are Christians, functionally, most of the time, try to experience change, purity, growth. But we try to experience it by moving around the heart. What does that look like? Really, it looks like just merely trying to change external behaviors or even to change society without first dealing with the problem inside. And you know, Jesus talks about that all the time in the days in which he walked this earth. The Pharisees, who now have a very bad name and a negative connotation, were actually, they were the conservative religious establishment of the day. They were the impressive people. They were the people that seemed to have their act together, and yet they were the people that did exactly this. They sought change, purity, holiness, righteousness by merely changing what's on the outside of us and ignoring what's on the inside. Which is why Jesus said things to them like he says in, say, Matthew 23. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Maybe you're familiar with that passage. He says, you're clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're just a bunch of dead, rotting bones. You know, imagine it it this way. Imagine that you're in the market for a house. You're looking to buy a new home, and your realtor is taking you out to look at various homes, and you come across one home that on the outside just looks immaculate. I mean, new paint job, beautiful shutters, the roof is in great shape. Uh, The grass in the yard is beautiful. It's just impressive. And you say, man, this looks amazing to your realtor. And your realtor says, well, all right, let's move on. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going in? Let's go in and see what's going on inside. And he's like, you sure you want to do that? I mean, just trust me, this house is good. You're like, no, I want to go inside. And you go inside, and this place is rotted out. I mean, it is like a hollow shell of what used to be a home. It's like you're wondering that if you're going to get radiation poisoning or something because you've walked inside the house. And then imagine the realtor says, you know what? I'm going to fix this. We're going to give this house a new paint job. We're going to power wash this thing on Monday morning. Trust us. We're going to make it right. You would think you are crazy, man. The problem isn't what's on outside of the house. The outside of the house looks great. The problem is that on the inside, this place is rotten. It's so often the way we tend to think. It's so often the way we pursue change. We seek to navigate our way around dealing with our heart problem. We think that purity can be attained and blessing can be attained by merely trying to change our behaviors. How do we do that? Well, there's an infinite number of examples. Let me just, let me just give you a couple. Um, Let's say, for example, that um, you are going to church regularly and you feel compelled, maybe because your pastor or an elder or a leader tells you that you need to begin giving to the church. You need to give 10% of your regular income. That's a good thing to do, by the way. You should do that. That's a good rule Christians need to be giving. And so let's say you go home, you've heard, okay, I need to give. That's what Pastor Luke said, I need to give. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to start doing it. I'm going to give. I'm going to give 15% of all my money. And you do that for a year. And you feel pretty good. So that a year later when the pastor comes and gives his annual you need to give sermon, you're looking around and you're thinking, man, 
I'm doing great. I'm in good shape. I gave thousands of dollars to the church this year. Have you cured your problem? No. Sure, you gave. Yes, that's good. But your heart is now not only still struggling with greed, but it's also enveloped by pride. (laughs) You're not only worried and thinking about, man, can I really give this money away? But you're also thinking, I'm pretty certain that I gave more away than most of the people in here. You see, you haven't dealt with the heart. You haven't dealt with the key to who you are. You haven't flown through the avenue of your inner person in order to experience change. And yeah, you can change your behaviors, but the inside of you is still struggling with the same sort of idolatries and sins. Here's another example. Take anger. And you know, instead of... Uh, let me just try and put some arms and legs on this, some skin and bones on it, by, by telling you about a movie that I saw recently that I think illustrates this really, really well. Um, recently, I watched uh, Silver Linings Playbook. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It stars um, Bradley Cooper and what's her name? Jennifer Lawrence, thank you. And uh, it's about this, this couple that live in Philadelphia, and they both have some mental issues, and through their relationship, they begin to grow out of them. But Bradley Cooper's dad is played by Robert De Niro, and I think he's the most interesting character in the whole movie. And he's interesting for a lot of reasons, but here's why it's relevant for tonight. Um, Robert De Niro's character in the movie, the dad, is, is a super angry guy. When he was younger, he, you know, he's classic. I lived in Philly for five years, and trust me, they're dead on with Robert De Niro. He's, he's the classic Italian South Philly guy. And uh, he's, you know, gotten kicked out of Eagles football games because he's gotten too many fights. And he uses profanity all the time. And he hits people. He's just angry. And this is a part of the backstory of the movie. But at some point in his life, he says, I've got to change this. I've got to got to modify my behavior because I'm going to end up in prison for years if things continue. And so what he started doing was, well, he stopped going out to Eagles games, partly because he was banned. And uh, he stopped getting really, really drunk in public. And and he stopped screaming and yelling in public. But really, he he didn't change inwardly. He, He confined himself to his living room. And he did the exact same things in his living room. He screamed at the eagles on TV. And he had too much to drink. And he was irritable and chippy with his family. He did the same exact things that he was always done. He just did it in a more socially acceptable, conventional way that people would let him get away with. You see, he had just changed parts of his external circumstances. But he hadn't really experienced healing from the anger that was strangling him. But so often... So often, what we try to do, in so many ways, we seek to change the way we're living. We seek purity, but we seek it by merely working on what's outside of us, rather than by thinking about how our inner persons can experience change. How can we be pure in heart? We have have a problem. We have a problem of the hearts. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so often, even as believers in Jesus, we try to experience transformation and make ourselves better and grow by ignoring the most important part of us. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And so thirdly, let me tell you lastly about 
about the promise, the promise of a pure heart. Now, the question I hope is obvious at this point, how do I really change? (laughs) How do I really experience the blessedness of this beatitude? How does a true inner heart purity begin to flower and well up in my life? The only answer for that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the only way that you can experience real change and then real lasting behavior modification, the only way is when you get a completely new heart. You see, you see, Christianity, and Jesus is implying this here, has always said, Jesus has always said that your heart is incurably broken. It's, it's tattered by the shrapnel of the fall. It's, it's completely addicted to rebellion against God. And the only solution for the problem of your heart, the only way that you're ever going to attain purity is to have a completely new start on the inside. And the good news is that that's exactly what God has done for us in the gospel. You see, God doesn't just say what every other religion and way of living says. He doesn't just say, you've got to clean this part of you up and you've got to get a little better here and you need some more purity in this section. And when you do that, you might be good to go. He says, no, you have no chance at purity. Here's a completely new heart. And really the heart that he gives you is the heart not that you have earned or won by your own behavior modification. The heart that he gives you is the heart that Jesus himself one for you in his perfect life and in his sacrificial death. You see, the promise that God makes to you, heart-sickened people, through the gospel is that Jesus freely, at his cost, gives to you the heart that only he himself is able to possess. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament looked forward to this. One of the most famous prophecies that talks about this is Ezekiel. And I just want to read a couple of these verses because I think they're very powerful. Ezekiel 36, beginning in 24. This is looking forward to what Jesus is going to do in granting to us, giving us a heart that is truly pure, a heart that is truly transformed. Here's what Ezekiel prophesies. I will take you, this is God speaking. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. Notice God is the one doing this. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and, listen, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The promise of a new heart is that Jesus gives it to us free of charge. The way to attain purity in heart is to receive it. It's to receive it. And when you trust that Jesus, through his work, through his perfect behavior, has done that for you, when you connect with his heart by faith and receive a new heart, you receive his spirit, which really does enable you, empower you to really change. And it's because you're no longer a whitewashed tomb. You've had a resurrection experience and you're breaking out of the grave. 
And Jesus promises us one more thing in this passage, that, that when that happens, when you receive a pure heart and then through the Spirit are empowered to live a life of purity, you will see God. Have you ever thought about what that might mean? What does it mean to see God? If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that in multiple places in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that no one can see God and live. And when people even get a glimpse of his glory, they fall down on their knees like Isaiah did in fear and say, I am unclean, I am impure. But here Jesus says, when you receive by faith my purity, you will see him. You will see him. You will be awed at his grandeur and glory and holiness. And you will be caught up and enraptured in his grace and in his love. The experience that you pure-hearted believers in Jesus will have when you see God can only begin to be tasted in this life. But let me assure you, it will be greater than anything you can even begin to imagine now. To see God, to see him, to, to bask in the presence of his holiness, goodness, truth, and grace is to finally be and do what God created us for. It's, it's to finally, in a sense, be fully human, to know the living and true God, and to know that through Christ you need not fear him casting you out for your impurity, but in Jesus you are secure. Only when you receive by faith, a heart of purity? Will you be enabled to begin to change? Will your anger begin to dissipate? Will your greed begin to dissipate? Will your insecurity begin to go away? Only when you understand the gospel that you're positionally pure in Christ do you begin to be practically pure in your life. And only when you get the gospel can you begin to savor in this life what we will experience fully in the next the vision of God. Jonathan Edwards is um, probably the greatest American theologian, and he has an amazing sermon uh, on the vision of God. He actually wrote a number of sermons on that, and I want to close just by reading you a couple of sentences from one of Edwards' sermons. Listen to what he says and reflect on this. God is the highest good of any creature. The enjoyment of his excuse me, the enjoyment of him is our proper and only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Let's pray.